I think there's a lot of people who would say the office is really a distraction environment. And so like when you bring people together, don't try and work. It's kind of impossible. Bring people together for the right reasons. Yeah. And I think employers need to have coherent narratives about this. Like go away to work, come back when we need to collaborate. Welcome to Freedom Matters, where we explore the intersection of technology, productivity, and digital well-being. I'm your host, Georgie Powell, and each episode we'll be talking to experts in productivity and digital wellness. We'll be sharing their experiences on how to take back control of technology. We hope you leave feeling inspired, so let's get to it. This week, we wrap up our series on the future of work with founder and CEO of Freedom, Fred Stutzman. He shares his thoughts on the future of work, how the Freedom team is organized to embrace asynchronous remote working, and some of his favorite insights from our most recent series. We discuss what initially attracted Fred to building a productivity tool, reflections on his own productivity, how Freedom works in an asynchronous and remote way, why the four-day work weeks are better than holidays, and the tension between new ways of working and the return to the office. Fred, welcome to the Freedom Matters podcast. It's great to have you back. Hey, it's great to be back. (laughs) I love what you've been doing with it. (laughs) It's really funny to be interviewing you right now. It feels quite strange after having... (laughs) It's been a journey and a half, but what a journey it's been. I remember the first time I interviewed you, you were making some kind of incredibly bad cup of tea. Yes, yes. (laughs) I think I'm still drinking it. You've been working now in the space of productivity and how people work for quite some time. And I wanted to ask you, what first interested you in how people work and why productivity was important? Why did you start thinking about these problems and want to create solutions to change them? I I think some of it is what you would call dog food. I have always been very interested in productivity, more from a personal productivity angle. How do I get more done in less time. And I've I, through my life, I've had a number of these challenges where I've had to figure out, well, how do you start a company or how do you write a dissertation or how do you do X, Y, or Z? And all of those I've broke down into productivity challenges, for better or for worse. And for better, you can treat it as a, a learning experience. And you can say, okay, show me what works, show me what doesn't, read the books, synthesize the studies, and start to apply this stuff. For worse... Sometimes I think it actually shortcuts yourself. Mm. You can develop all these techniques for making yourself more productive, but you may be missing some points where you could reach out to other people and get assistance, where you end up taking on too much. And so there's really a balance. So it was something that was just very uh, natural for me to work on. It just, it felt right. And it's always felt interesting to me. And what, to what extent do you think you are productive? I'm quite interested, actually, especially now working for you. If you look at it across a week, are you on your game the whole time? Like, how do you look at your week? How do you look at good days, bad days? How do they flow? I, well, so we are doing this interview in the middle of a war in Europe that has been very traumatic. And I, I keep you know, thinking about how we go through these unprecedented things. We're starting to see the end of potentially, hopefully, knock on wood, a pandemic. And it's right on to the next thing. And it's horrible. So lately, my productivity has not been great because of 
and just anxiety in the world. And I think everybody is affected by this, just like everybody mm. is probably affected by the pandemic. But my personal take on productivity, if I were to give myself a report card, I am in another learning phase. So the aspects of my work that involve doing and making, I've gotten pretty good at those things, but I am now in a new phase of work where I need to step back and I need to delegate. And now that we're almost 25 people working around the world in different arrangements, my productivity has allowed me to manage that to the point where I need to start stepping back and I need to delegate this out. And so um, in our company, we've been going through the new set of challenges. And I think that I'm learning, making progress. But as I tell everybody in the team, it's going to happen over time. It's not something you're going to get right, right, or right. So I think my days, I'm in a new and intellectually stimulating place. What I've learned from my work in the past is you have to reach out to people. So I'm reaching out to people. I'm working with peer groups. I'm working with the mastermind mm-hmm. group. I'm trying to bring competing viewpoints in to like how we make this change. And uh, so it's fun and interesting, but there's a lot of stopping and starting and probably not my most productive period, but it's, I think, one that we have to go through. Yeah, it's interesting. It all comes back to this question of how you define productivity, because actually, mm-hmm. if they are the building blocks for what comes later on, then you might not feel so productive now, but it's still important. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of these things where you've got to make a conscious decision. A guy said to me uh, when I was starting the company, he said to me something along the lines of like, you're constantly thinking six months out. And it's funny because in a startup, they're like, think 10 years out or think how you're going to change the world. And I've always worked better thinking six months out. Where do we need to be? a little bit down the road. And that's maybe because I'm so operational. That's just my nature, you know. But I hope to be in a better place in six months as a result of this. And then looking back since you founded Freedom and have been working in the work space, how have you seen work change? What things have started to define new ways of working? It's interesting how some of the things that we've done and we're almost, you know, looked down upon or treated as a second-tier company. Those things are now mainstream and accepted. And I'm not saying this to just say I was right, but <laughs> but you uh, are. Well, there are these forces that want work to say the same. They want work to just fit into this mold. But tools, techniques, productivity, our knowledge is changing so fast that we have to adapt and adopt. I look at a lot of the choices that we made back, you know, in 2014, 2015, 2016, that like people didn't think were the right changes, but they always felt right. And the reason they felt right is because we were doing work that was pushing uh, the boundaries of the future of work. And we were working with knowledge workers and, and people who were going to chart that course. And by getting rid of our office, by working with people remotely, first in the United States and then Europe and around the world, we were able to cast a net and find the right talent, the right personalities, the right people to work with us. And then we said, okay, let's have workflows that work for these people so that you can be in a totally different time zone, yet still feel connected to the company and still feel like you're going to uh, be getting you know, your work done and not just waiting on the next meeting. And so 
all of those things felt right at the time. And now they're the things that companies large and small are struggling with. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for people who are going to be helping companies make this transformation. When I think about what Chase Warrington talks about on our podcast, there's just a tremendous opportunity there for companies to both embrace remote tool sets and create a remote culture. But the change is lasting. It's just going to keep getting more embedded in the way we work and expected. So this move towards remote, this move towards really a hybrid style of working, I think it just is the future. Well, specifically, I think what's really interesting because I've learned a lot since joining Freedom is about the workflows. So do you want to summarize a bit some of those workflow changes you made and when you made them, particularly the fact that there is no email? I know. And it's funny because there's no email, I've gotten so bad at email. So that was one of my productivity things back in the day. I loved managing my email and having inbox zero. I wrote all these complex rules that would filter my mail. I had an inbox that every night was zero. And um, now it's terrible. It's I feel sorry for people who communicate with me via email. At Freedom, we've used Slack since the early days. We use Trello to manage our workflows, and we have a whole set of SaaS tools that we use to manage different aspects of our work. But by having an asynchronous workflow, we allow people who are working at very different time zones to do their work, to have ways of communicating and getting feedback that it's going to allow them to feel like they're really fully integrated into the team. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be on my time zone to feel like a member of the team. I mean, not to get too into the weeds, but we follow a Kanban process, which uh, is something that uh, if you've uh, listened to our podcast, you've heard Cal Newport talk about. He's written about this as well. And in following that process, we flow our work through a board. We don't do sprints because we're doing continuous flow of improvements to the product and improvements to our marketing. And the team members will take the work that they're going to do. We have team members who review the work and it goes into production and it all just flows. And by having, I think, a pretty reasonable set of expectations around timeline, we allow people to work in a way where they can actually be a little bit multitasked in that you might have two or three projects Uh, One is waiting on some feedback from somebody who might be on a different time zone. You pick up the other one, come back to it the next day, you've gotten your feedback and you move forward. And that flow works pretty well. And it's not a flow where it's like, I pick up the task and 10 minutes later, I pick up another task. We've got good solutions for that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's been really interesting to see. And it's another thing that we constantly geek out on and try to improve because at each stage of the company getting bigger, We need to think about how to amend and improve that process and project management flow. Yeah, for sure. But it's a game changer for me. I think also you say you use Slack, but you use Slack quite limitedly. (laughs) What do you, well, so in what way? What do you think is limited? I I mean, I I feel like I use it too much and I catch myself Mm. and I'm like, okay, this should be on a project board. This should not be on Slack. I, I, when I explain how freedom uses Slack right. to other people, mm-hmm. I say, yeah. actually, Slack is a tool just really to build team connections and to launch a meeting and to share random knowledge that you may or may not need to read. Yeah. But work doesn't happen on Slack. Work happens on Trello. Right. Decisions shouldn't get made on Slack. Like, yes. I've had, to, right. I've had to retrain myself on that because it's instinct when you've done it for lots of years to just ping someone because you want the answer. Yep. 
And you don't I see do what that. you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's. I think we've been good about that. And of course, there there's some of the stuff gets some of the decisions do get made on Slack, and I'm guilty of that. But we have a very written culture, and the writing happens in the project management software. Certainly, some of it happens on Slack, but we try and do most of it within the project management software because we know that there's going to be a findable record there, mm. and that's really important for everyone who's a stakeholder and the decision is to be able to read the thread and and so we have we have pushed that as our sort of system of record for work decisions and we do nudge people back over to uh, Trello when the decisions start to get made on Slack we do say okay let's take it to the card let's talk on the card and it's interesting yeah to get your perspective on how we use Slack, which I do think is a team building, team camaraderie. Obviously, it can be useful for like, hey, we've got an issue. We need to quickly triage it and troubleshoot it and stuff like that. Test this or, yeah. Test this. But it is really a way for the team to feel connected. It's like the break room in a way. Like it's it's always there. Somebody's probably hanging out there. I wouldn't say around the clock, but between our time zones, We've got it covered a lot of the day. And uh, yeah, we want that to be social. We want that to feel natural. And I think when you look at the people who are in the workforce today, I grew up very much using written technologies as a very normal part of my social experience. I grew up with Instant Messenger. I grew up with AOL Instant Messenger. And then, of course, used any number of chat clients through text messaging. So for me, having textual communication feels very real, very social. It doesn't feel like a trade-off of walking to the workroom and not seeing somebody. And I think, okay, that's not for everybody, but there are a lot of people who have grown up on text technologies where the text interactions that something like a Slack or Teams can provide feel very real. They are genuinely social interactions with genuinely social responses. And I, I think by using Slack in that way, we have replicated the water cooler. And it's always felt overkill to me. Even when I worked in offices, I just my nature. I wasn't the person who was hanging out in the break room. I was with my headphones on. So there's maybe a little self-selection in our company, but... I think we've created that environment there. The other thing, obviously, we do as Freedom is four-day work week and in the summer. And then also I keep on being happily surprised by other Freedom holidays that pop up. So the four-day work week in the summer, tell me when that originated and what impact you've seen that's had on the team. That originated many years ago, I think three over three years ago, it started before the pandemic. So Alex Pang is a longtime friend of mine. Alex's episode on the podcast was wonderful and one of my favorite. Just he's so insightful and he's been so right about so many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's a futurist, but I wish he would give me a lot of numbers because he's just consistently <laughs> right. So I read Alex's book and his book was about the four-day work week and how companies were adopting it. And it really spoke to me. At the same time, you know, going back to the dog food principle at Freedom, are we going to be able to build the future of work 
without experiencing the future of work. And this is something that Charlie uh, Warzel brought up in his podcast as well. Going back to this idea, we've always had this take whatever vacation time you need. And of course, that means that people don't take enough vacation time. And that was kind of weighing on me read the book and I said, okay, here's an opportunity for us to try something. And so over the summer, we tried doing a four-day work week. And it was really interesting to see and experience it. I think most of us, our experience with work holidays are like days that we also need to work and probably even work harder than work because they're holidays. Like either your kids are home or you're traveling to your relatives or you're making food or you're going to the <laughs> store. Like those holidays, you end up more tired than <laughs> if you had just gone to work. Like literally work is easier than preparing Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving is better than work, but it's harder. So one of the takeaways was like having these days where maybe your normal childcare or your normal sort of expectations were in place and you could just take a day off either to rest you could take a day off and take your car in and get a service and not worry about, I don't know, using work days. I mean, you could re- really do whatever you want. And, mm. and then you go into the weekend with all that stuff off your plate and you just, and then you have two days. And man, when you have everything taken care of on Friday and then you go into a weekend, it's a totally different experience than like hitting Saturday to do your chores and then Sunday where you're just like tired and oh, then it's back to work the next day. So I think it's really a game changer. Now, we are not a always on 40 work week company. We actually tried stacking up a couple days in a row and the team gave us feedback that feeling like there's not enough time for like focused work to, to you know, just it, the, the three days off, it's great, but we want to use the momentum and carry forward and then go into the 40 work week. And so we do alternating days and it's been interesting. I think one of the things about the 40 work week, and Alex talks about this, is it doesn't need to be all or nothing. It can mm-hmm. be some take on it that works for your company. Mm-hmm. And in the Raleigh-Durham area, so where we are, the 40 word week is not popular. I did a I did a news article where we talked about our use of it and we had some people saying pretty negative things about it. Like, how could a company ever do this? You need to be working constantly. Mm. And the pushback was kind of interesting, but I just said to them like clearly they've never tried it because once you experience it, it's really eye-opening. But that's the interesting part of it, isn't it? And I think that's what I'm really interested in is we've had all these fantastic guests on the podcast who are living this new yeah. way of working. But, yep. but they, we are still in the minority. And actually, a good friend of mine today spoke to a headhunter, and there was a couple of jobs coming up, interesting jobs. But first question, are they remote? Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. where do you live? Could you come in a few days a week to London? Yep. It's like, well, yep. no, actually. <laughs> right. Um, right. So, so, yeah, like I just ha- can you see the change com- coming? How do you think that change is going to play out? Uh, how, how fast are the, are the followers going to follow? People are going to push back against the change because it's what they know. I think there's also some sort of like return to normalcy that's like tied up in our need to come back to the office. It's it's We're about to enter a really contested space. So it, it's interesting because we've seen the proof is in the pudding. We've looked at the results from the past couple of years mm-hmm. and productivity has never been higher. We've gotten so much done. Well, many people had a child being homeschooled as they tried to work 
We've accomplished so much. It certainly hasn't been easy, but we've certainly demonstrated that productivity and work works fine when we go into a hybrid and remote environment. Mm-hmm. And I think that for so many people, the quality of life improvements have been game-changing. And the quality of life improvements are, are really subtle. We have to you know, make the realization that remote work is privileged. It's for knowledge workers. It is for people who can remote work, and not every, it's not available to everyone. And realizing that for the people who are able to take advantage of it, it's been so game-changing to, to be able to work and get your laundry done while you're working by putting dinner on while you're working. And we have seen that all of these things which make really important quality of life improvements uh, are not costing us productivity. Mm. So what are they costing us? I think the you know the employers will say we want to have this social experience in the office, and we want to have brainstorming. Well, I think there's a lot of people who would say the office is really a distraction environment, and so like when yeah. you bring people together, don't try and work. It's kind of impossible. Bring people together for the right reasons. Yeah, and I think employers need to have coherent narratives about this. Like go away to work, come back when we need to collaborate. And I, I, I think that that can absolutely work. I mean, the amount of energy that people gain when they don't have to make a commute is is remarkable. So people are not eager to commute for the sake of commuting. And mm-hmm. having the quality of life is really important. And then, yeah, as you say, shifting that concept of going into the workplace, not to work, but to collaborate. And I think if you haven't been in there for long periods of time, the renewed energy of going to a space for a particular exciting purpose, you're going to bring so much more energy to that brainstorm than you would do if you'd, say, been sitting at your desk for a week, trying to get work done, constantly being distracted, just worn down by the commute, and then you've got to go into a brainstorm. Whereas if it's it's my once in a month Thursday in the office where we're going to solve this particular really hard problem, that's really fun. That would be amazing. And it's not just your home, it's it's your home or a, a hybrid office space, a co-working space, a coffee shop. It's where you get your best work done. And I think when we say work from home, people are just like defaulting into, oh yeah, just me sitting at my desk. No, it's you're working from a local co-working or a coffee. Yeah, uh, yeah. And all of that can be very productive. And so, yeah, it's interesting. People are going to push back on it just for the sake of pushing back on it because we've sunk some cost into a lease and we need to get people in the office. You know, that way is just the best way for you to bleed your employees. Yeah. <laughs> They'll go to and companies cash. that allow remote. Yeah. And cash. Yeah. <laughs> And then just um, looking more to the future. So you talked about this kind of uncertainty about how many people will come back, who will come back and the hybrid mix and stuff. But looking at the role of technology, and I know Shamsi started to talk a bit about this, but especially as someone who's really interested in productivity and workflows, and where do you see technology playing a role in how we work in the future as a CEO, but also as someone that's just really interested in how to work better? The work that Shamsi's been doing, and to her credit, she has been doing this work for... (laughs) I was reading one of her papers from 2007 the other day. I mean, she has been a leader in the space forever, and she's been living in the future. Yeah, really everybody we've talked to in this series has been so incredible. But yeah, I see such a incredible opportunity for technology, and on a couple of levels. One is, if we're going to go remote and we're going to go asynchronous, the only way that works is through technology enablement. And the tools that we have now are basically just 
regular product management tools that people are hacking into kind of asynchronous product management tools. And so, for example, like Trello, uh, Trello is, doesn't have a lot of rules or expectations, so it can be pretty much hacked into what you want it to be. But we are very much running into the limits of that as we scale. There are a lot of ways for companies to step in and improve that flow of product management. And I mean, for a company, that is essential. There's also a need for education and results-based analysis of what's working and what isn't. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to see this. It's going to be the work of B-school professors and graduate students over the next 10 years to really piece apart what's working and what isn't. I think a big question of how companies are going to succeed and scale up is in how they create a, a remote culture. That's created by people, but it's enabled through technology because if we're all remote, that's how we're going to communicate, connect, and be intermediated. I think about what Chase was talking about. I think about the tools that Shamsi is building, and all of this is going to go into the creation of the remote culture, and that's going to be something that we're you know, going to be iterating on for a number of years. I, I think that company culture kind of boils up. I think like the the... The way our company has changed over the past couple of years, as we went from a team of three or four people to the team that we are now, we've identified our culture. And our culture has been informed by the fact that we are remote and we communicate through technology. It's going to be a little harder for companies that just didn't have that. But arguably, everybody's had that for the past two years. So it's time to make the shift to have tools that enable you to foster sort of the social culture of the company with technology. Yeah, there's just, there's so much. I think like the future of workspace, the tools that can support remote work, that's just an enormous market for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And obviously what we're trying to be part of as well. It's really exciting times. Yeah, amazing. On the culture piece, I I keep coming back. I know it's a long time ago as well now, I was um, with Jonathan Garner talking about the culture of you as well. Mm-hmm. And this idea that kind of company culture can actually feed off lots of mini subcultures that people are nurturing around themselves and their own lives. And Rebecca Seal talked about that too, about how you might work solo, but you never work alone. You've basically always got a team of people around you. Mm-hmm. Leaning into that and encouraging that, I think is going to be really positive for companies as well. And it's going to require a mindset shift because thinking back to my experience with co-working, so I was able to develop a social culture of work with people who weren't my coworkers. But I would yeah. go to this co-working space and I felt connected, I felt um, invigorated, and that translated into my work. Amazing. And then just the final question we ask a lot of our guests is, what's productivity mean to you, Fred? Yeah. So we talked about how productivity is changing. What does productivity mean to me now? Productivity is my rate of learning at this point in time. I think about how productivity used to mean what am I doing and building. And I had clear metrics for evaluating that. But I think now my productivity is measured in how effective I am at pulling in and synthesizing new information and applying it because uh, of the challenges that we face. We are going through a period of rapid growth in our company and our mission and supporting our customers is just incredibly 
uh, inspiring and motivating to me. And so I want to be able to keep up with the pull that we feel from the people that we're serving and yeah. build the product that, that they want and, and support them. Yeah, it's, it's ways to th- synthesize that new information. And it almost feels like I'm back in graduate school. It's kind of weird, but I, I hung around in academia for way too long. So I guess I like that stuff. <laughs> I think for me, what I learned from the series was you've got to just start experimenting. And also lots of us ended up in these situations without consciously choosing to be there from a work perspective. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it right. I mean, you do have to stop, reset and say, actually, which bits are working, which bits aren't working. There are other ways and have have the right conversations with teams to reset it. And be willing to go against the grain. Even though we've gone through this pandemic and pushed everyone remote for some period of time, there's a lot of inertia around making some of these changes in a longer vision, in a sort of a longer timeline. This is where we're going. You can't fight it. It's going to be table stakes in a couple of years, what workers mm-hmm. are going to expect. And if you haven't made that investment, you're going to lose out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I spent like want- selling <laughs> consulting services here. But, it's, <laughs> but it is, uh, once you've tasted it, why would you go back? You exactly, just wouldn't. Exactly. I think the knowledge work industry has to really embrace this fact that like knowledge work is endurance work. And there's just no way that people can do that much good knowledge work in a day. And so your challenge as you know, a facilitator of knowledge work is giving people the best environment and the tools that they need to do that knowledge work in the amount of times that their their brain's going to allow it, um, giving them the right environment to do it and allowing them to succeed. Because again, going back to some of the things that Alex talked about, people's, their opinions about work, their, their satisfaction with work is going to be very much tied up in the, the success that they have. And so employers should be setting people up for that success. Having a culture that is all about hours on the clock is just going to be a losing one in the knowledge work industries. I'm so glad you enjoyed the series. I knew you would because it's obviously oh, yeah. your kind oh, of yeah. area of what you really love. I'm really excited about the next series, which is all going to be around technology and self. And we're going to be talking about what it means to be human and how technology impacts that. And we've got an amazing lineup. So I'm really excited about that next series too. So very different from the last one, but hopefully still get people thinking about their relationship with technology and how to build a more purposeful future in work and, and in life. Absolutely. It's going to be fantastic. I just... I really loved this series. I encourage people to listen to it and really reflect back on all the areas that you've touched on through the course of the Future of Work arc on the podcast. And it's just been wonderful listening. So as they say, like and subscribe. (laughs) Okay, Fred. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. (laughs) Thank you, Georgie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Freedom Matters. If you like what you hear, then subscribe on your favourite platform. And until next time, we wish you happy, healthy and productive days.